as we've been in Matthew for years, I believe. And uh, we are now in 16, um, verse 13 to 17. Last week, though, we talked about uh, the, the previous verse before that, 5 to 12, and how Jesus, uh, he forgives us when we forget the bread. Sometimes we do that. And we prayed for softened hearts. We saw last week that the hearts were softened, that they understood only because of Jesus' words. So get into the word, get into the Bible, listen from each other, hear God's voice. That will soften your heart. You'll understand things better. And we were also warned and cautioned of the leaven of the Pharisees, which was self-righteousness, not to get caught up in self-righteousness. We were warned of of the Sadducees not to get caught up in their their belief pattern, which is that there's no afterlife, so live it up right now, everything that you can do. Um, Those are warnings that Jesus gave us. Like leaven, like yeast and dough, it rises and it permeates throughout your life, and you're challenged with that every day, especially in Cleveland. You're always going to be challenged with self-righteousness and living for the now rather than living for Jesus. And so we were warned of those things last week. Uh, This week we're going to go to the next five verses and um, see Peter here confessing Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 16, 13 to 17. Uh, We'll bring it up on the screen or you can find it in your Bible. Uh, Please stand to read the Word of God. We stand at Gateway downtown um, for a couple reasons. One, it's a sign of God moving in and through us. And two, these are God's holy words. They're important. Um, And so we stand in reverence of them. Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you for meeting us here this morning, that we can come to you and worship, which is what our ultimate goal on this world and this life is, to worship you, to see you more clearly. And so we're coming before you now, reading your words that you've spoken and you've given to us, and I pray that you'll open our eyes, let us see, let us hear, let us understand your words this morning. Let us see you more clearly. I pray that you will give us a good memory as we talk about conversion this morning, and that those of us that have found you, Jesus, that we can remember what that's like, where that came from. Give us clear minds, God. Right now, whatever we're doing, let us rest in you. Settle our minds, help us focus on you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, you can be seated. Um, we're looking at a test of sorts. Uh, Jesus asks a question. We have a question to the test. We see an answer, and then we have the grade after that. And tests right now in my life are maybe uh, important. Maybe I see it a lot. I'm in the college realm. I'm finishing a master's program. And so I'm aware to test and assessment. And as an educator, having a teaching license, looking at jobs, every school administrator, everywhere you go, they care about assessment. They care about tests. They really want to know what is a teacher going to be able to do to help somebody pass a test. How can you do it? Assessment matters to people. And it can be really difficult sometimes to assess in this world. Because while administrators like it, most people don't. I think our culture today has a big problem with testing, actually. Maybe you've seen it as well. Why does it matter what I get on the ACT to go to college? GPA is good. I'm just a bad test taker. 
That test doesn't appeal to my intelligences. I don't like tests. And who comes up with these answers anyway? Just filling in a bubble with a right and a wrong? That's not really fair. I think this is in our culture that we don't like to think that there are answers, that there is right and wrong, because our culture promotes relativity. Depends on where you're coming from or what the question asks. It's a biased question anyway. And, and I think a lot of people that we interact with daily are scared of answers. We shy away from them often. It's not always bad. Um, in my current master's program, I'm getting a master's in interdisciplinary studies. So my last class was Saturday and uh, had to write a personal statement about my experience with um, researching interdisciplinary studies. What was my personal statement? What was that like doing that research? And one of the things that I came up with was that uh, it was difficult because there's never an answer. If I ever came to a final conclusion or a final answer, that either means I quit researching um, or I just wasn't asking the right questions. Interdisciplinary studies, looking at multiple disciplines to approach a topic, it's intricate. And you have to intertwine these different things and you find answers. You ask questions to find theories to get to solutions, but it's never a final answer. You're always going to learn more. And so that was one of the things that was strange and hard for this program for me was that you don't have an answer. Just ask questions. And our world is big into that right now. Better to just ask questions. But I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it should be our motto as a Christian that answers are bad. Asking questions is good, absolutely. Um, and I'd say some of the smartest people I know are those people that ask good questions. I ask a question, and their response is a question that makes me think about an answer. That's good. But we do have to have answers of our own. We need to take a stance on our theology at some point. We all have a theology. Whether you know it or not, you have a theology, and we have to realize that. We need to be able to say, based on what God has revealed to us, based on Scripture, based on what we know of Jesus, of history, we need to be able to say that there are some issues that are simply Christian. This is what makes a Christian. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about this, Mere Christianity. What is it? What is mere Christianity? Where does this come from? It's an agreed-upon core of our faith that needs to be addressed, and we need to have an answer for what makes somebody a Christian. So core issues, these things, I think about it like a target. I told you we're looking at a circle. The bullseye, the center part of this target are our convictions. When I worked in Rome for a couple of years with, uh, with Agape, known as Crew in the United States, we talked about this target um, and what it looks like. The center of this target, the bullseye, convictions. These are our faith issues that are, as C.S. Lewis would say, mere Christianity. These are things we don't break on. Outside, the next ring outside are persuasion issues. And then the next one outside that are opinion issues. The opinion issues are the ones centered on, our, again, this is our faith how we look at our faith with a, with, a, with a target. Christian faith, I think a lot of times, people want to talk about Christian faith and they only want to talk about these opinion issues. I think it's one way that we can avoid the core, the conviction, the things that really matter. And so people ask these questions that maybe don't really have answers. It's not strange to think that there's levels. C.S. Lewis did write this book and he's not crazy for having written it. There aren't always hard, steadfast lines in the Bible of everything is a conviction issue. We see it from Paul, 1 Corinthians 7 7. This, this uh, illustrates a little bit of what we see of an opinion issue. Paul says in 7 7, he's writing to the church of Corinth, writing about marriage. And he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What was he? He says, I wish they were as I myself am single. He wished that everybody were single. 
But Peter obviously didn't. Peter had a mother-in-law. He was married. So is Peter wrong and Paul right here for saying that everybody should be single? No. He thought it would be a good thing. But he even says in the verses before, it's a concession. It's not a command. It's not for everybody. And so God calls you to a certain thing, and you should follow it. But that is not going to decide your salvation. If God calls you to singleness and you're single and you have the gift of singleness, great. If he calls you to marriage and you are married and you have the gift of marriage, great. But that would be an opinion issue because it's not right or wrong. It's what God's telling you. Some other opinion issues would um, include when Jesus will return. We can't necessarily know. That is not affecting our salvation. That's not affecting our sanctification our walk with Christ. What Bible translation is the best one to use? We use the ESV. That's the best one. I'll tell you that right now. Tim Keller uses it. It's obviously the best. Well, not necessarily. Maybe you like enough. I mean, as long as it's still the Word of God, that's good. I heard a heretic out there. Uh-oh. I might not be up here next week. Another one I would say is time travel. Is time travel possible? We saw it in the Bible. So can it happen? We could talk about that all day. And not have an answer. It's an opinion issue. We get one step closer to the bullseye. We're looking at persuasion issues. Again from Paul, Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So the idea of being fully convinced in your own mind only comes from God. It comes from attaining more knowledge about God and who he is. So people that esteem days differently won't be approached, okay, when you first find your faith, those people that are thinking about how to approach a day, one for God, one not, when you come to faith, that's not something you're thinking about at the time. It comes as you walk in your faith. Persuasion issues are our sanctification, what God is calling us to. Sanctification or becoming like Christ. This is our walk with God. It should constantly be growing. If we're not growing, if we're not becoming more like Christ, we're going backwards. We're becoming less. It's one or the other. You're not just staying the same. And so the answers come from being fully convinced in your own mind. This comes from Scripture and our walk with Christ, our walk with Jesus. These are persuasion issues. The differences in persuasion issues should not separate you from fellowship with other believers. Paul continues in 13 and 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So the persuasion issue is different than the opinion. Opinion, we don't necessarily know the answer, and maybe we can't, but persuasion issues, we can take a stand on, and we need to take a stand on it as God is leading us. But if God is leading somebody else not to that, we shouldn't cut our relationship with them. Some other issues other than esteeming one day higher than another, I would say would maybe be millennial views. Uh, maybe the way that we pray. There's all sorts of different kinds of prayer. Praying out loud. Korean-style prayer. Praying silently. If God is telling you to pray out loud, then you should probably do it. But you shouldn't cut your relationship with somebody else that prays silently. If God isn't telling them to pray out loud. That isn't affecting your salvation. Now, that might be affecting your sanctification. Maybe God wants you to get out of your comfort zone and pray out loud with other believers. But that's not going to affect your salvation. There's a difference here. Salvation, that's the next issue, the core, the core, the middle of this target, the conviction issues, these essential issues to our salvation. 
I'll draw a hard line with my answers to this. And I'll challenge people that don't agree with it on whether or not they're a Christian. If they say they're a Christian, but they don't believe in these core conviction issues, then I'd question it. If they don't believe in the mere Christianity of what we see. Paul deals with this. Galatians 2, 11 to 16. The I here is is Paul. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, not a conviction issue, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, self-righteousness like we talked about last week, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Works of the law are not conviction issues. Jesus is being justified by faith in Christ is a conviction issue. Conviction issues are not based on how strongly you feel about something. It's not based on how psychologically, mentally strongly you feel about something. It's based on theology. It's based on central beliefs crucial to salvation. So some other ones here, the Trinity, issues of the Trinity, trying God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as God, one triune God. That matters. It's a big deal. Go to Brian's growth group. You'll learn why it's a big deal and why if you're a little bit off, that's way worse than being way off. We need the core. What is the Trinity? The Bible is the spoken word of God. This is a conviction issue. If people aren't going to believe the Bible, it's not very many steps away before they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, before self-righteousness becomes a gospel. That's bad. And finally, who Jesus really is. That's the conviction issue. This is the one that we see today, the most important question that we can have. This is our test that we're taking. The text is presenting us this morning with this conviction issue. It's so strong, this conviction issue. It's something that we need to be willing to sacrifice for. Sacrifice your life. We live in America, so you're probably not going to have your life at risk, but sacrifice your pride, maybe your reputation. People don't always like people that like Jesus, so maybe you'll lose a friend or two. We have to be willing to do that for these issues. Jesus and his disciples, verse 13 here, in Philippi, this is the boundaries of northern Israel. Again, it's Jewish territory. Maybe It's kind of the northernmost part here of the ancient Israel, and it's pretty much pagan territory that they're in. They're in a land that is not believing in God or f- trying to follow tradition anyway, and he's getting away from people with the disciples. It's hard. He's always around people, and so he gets away. And so here we are in a pagan land, and we're getting the crux that I said last week of Matthew, maybe the biggest part, the turning point in this book. Up to this point, we've seen Peter mentioned time and time again. He steps up a lot, and a lot of times he looks stupid. But we see Peter always stepping up in different ways, speaking up, walking out on water, doing some things. And so why is this big? Why are these following verses important? Well, we're looking at the test here. Peter gives the answer. So the test has three parts. There's the question, there's the answer, and then there's the grade, the response. 
So we'll look at those. The question that Jesus asks is the conviction issue. It's the core to your salvation. This question is for everybody here this morning. Whether you're sitting here right now, a born-again disciple of Jesus, or an atheist out to disprove God's existence, it doesn't matter what you are. This question matters to you. It's significant no matter what. Who is Jesus? We all have to face this answer in everybody's life, whether they realize it or not, is based around this answer and what you say of who Jesus is. What you make of the history that we've been given of Jesus dying, being, being raised from the dead, ascending to heaven. What's it mean that he ascended except that he descended? All these things matter. This is history. What do we make then of Jesus and what he said? So the disciples are asked to speak, first of all, on behalf of the common folk. Jesus asked them, verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus wants to hear how the disciples are seeing him. If the disciples are picking up on what others say of him, seeing if they know the truth and if they can infer what other people think is not truth. And I'd say they did understand it based on their nuanced answer. It seems as though they do know that there's truth, there's a right, and there's a wrong. And you can tell because they say, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or others one of the prophets. They realize that there's a truth, and so they're giving, they're pointing out the answers, the options that aren't right. They're saying all these other things that people say that are wrong. And so I pray that you know the truth this morning, that you might know what other people think as well. That's good. It's good to know about other religions. It's good to seek and find. (laughs) The truth is Christianity. I'm confident you'll land on it. If you are seeking, do it. And so you might know what other people think, but there is a target here. There's a right answer to the question. But what they said, John the Baptist, why they say that? We saw that maybe a month or two ago, Matthew 14, 2. Uh, Herod Antipas thought um, that Jesus was John uh, reincarnate. Elijah, why they say Elijah? Well, there were so many miracles being performed by Jesus uh, that the only correlation people could make was to that of the prophet Elijah. Elijah performed a lot of miracles, um, caused the rain to cease for three and a half years, called fire down from heaven that burned up the altar. Uh, He did cause it to rain. He had the prophecy Jezebel would be eaten by dogs. That came true. Old Testament's exciting. Called fire from heaven upon the first 50 soldiers, and again on the second 50, right after that in 2 Kings 2, 10 and 12. Parting of the Jordan, he was finally, he left this world, caught up in a whirlwind. He didn't actually die. So a lot of people are like, oh, maybe Jesus is Elijah because he just got caught up in that whirlwind and now he's back. And others likened him to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.10 said that people saw that God set him over kingdoms and nations. And that's what Jesus was saying. So maybe this is Jeremiah. And finally, one of the prophets. Others said that. Other people thought they were respecting Jesus because prophets were thought highly of. They thought they were thinking well of Jesus by calling him one of the prophets. It's not possible that he's from this time, because this time period, everybody's bad. Nothing good could come from Nazareth, so he must be otherworldly. He must be from before, a prophet. And they think that they're honoring him in this. They think that they have a high view of Jesus, just the way that today people think that thinking Jesus is a good moral teacher is a good thing. What's just off? And being just off is worse than being way off. We see it differently here. So now the test, the question for you this morning, who do you say that I am? This question is even more important. We can all speak on behalf of others. But to speak on behalf of yourself, 
Now you have to give your answer, what you believe, your conviction. It's not enough just to know what other people think. It's not enough to know what the interim teacher preacher up front at Gateway downtown thinks. You need to know for yourself what you think. So Jesus is asking you this morning, what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? He's waiting for your answer. Your answer should be pretty good, I would say, especially if you've grown up in church. If you've been coming here for a while. You probably should know the answer, and that's completely fair. It's fair that the longer you have known Jesus, the longer you've been converted and following the Lord, that you would know an answer maybe better than somebody else. That you would understand Jesus more. Like I said, we should always be growing in our faith and our knowledge of Jesus. So it's fair for him to ask the disciples, yes, the others think that, but you, disciples, you have seen me, you've walked with me. What do you think? That's a big deal. So this is the test question. The second part, the answer. What are the answer? We see Peter, as usual, stepping up to the plate here. He's not actually better than any of the other disciples, but he is speaking on behalf of the group. It happens a lot. The crux, the turning point of this chapter, it is short. But it's completely true and it's significant. What does Peter say in response? The answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ means the anointed one. And he says that that's who you are, Jesus. You're the son of the living God. That's exciting. That is the most important thing that we've seen in this book so far. I know we're not a vocal church. I was just talking to some people this morning. The church I grew up in was full of hallelujahs, amens, come-ons, and let's-goes. It happened all the time. I grew up like that. And right there, the son of the living God, that would have been all four. I would have gotten a let's go, a come on, a hallelujah. They all would have been there. Amen. There it is. It's big. But we don't always see this. This is a bigger deal than the bread that was multiplied to feed the thousands. It's a bigger deal than the fish that were multiplied. This is a bigger deal than walking on water. This, those signs are cool. They're great. And we can get excited seeing them. And we can think, wow, Jesus, look at what you did. But that's not the biggest deal. That's not the biggest thing that matters. Our conviction issue, the one that we're facing here, is salvation. Salvation is what matters. And we see Peter give the right answer. It's not enough just to think highly of Jesus or see him as a prophet. That's not who he was. I worked with a lot of, uh, of refugees when I was in Rome, from the Middle East uh, mainly, also from North Africa a little bit. Um, Islam background, there are Muslims for the most part as well. And they often would tell me, yeah, we think highly of Jesus. Jesus was a prophet, yes. And he was on the cross, and then he went directly to heaven, and now he's in heaven, and he will come back later, and he will bring his people back up. And I sat at a computer and looked at a really shady dot-com blog about how Jesus will warn them of the Jews, and the rocks will tell them that the Jew is hiding behind them so that they can kill him, and scary stuff, but it's there. I didn't read the Quran, but it was on the website with a marking, and the guy told me, so I don't know if that's really what they think, but they do say they think highly of Jesus. He's a prophet. Yes, he's good. But they're missing the point that he died. It's real. He didn't just disappear and go straight to heaven. He died three days, rose, walked with them, and then he ascended to heaven. That's history. Are we going to listen to that? And mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, points to this conviction issue about who Jesus is. Based on history and based on his life, he's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. 
I've mentioned this before, but let's look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. I think we have it on the screen. Yeah. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Good example. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is Christ, Lord, the Son, and the triune Spirit of God. He's not just a prophet, and he didn't leave that open. That's not a practical option from how he lived his life, from what he said. This answer that Jesus is Lord is right. The other answers are wrong about him being a prophet or a good moral teacher. This answer is true. The others are false. This answer is fact. The others are fiction. There's a hard line. It's here in the text. So I pray that God will reveal this truth to you and that you will choose to receive it because it matters. The first part of this test was the question, who am I? Second, we have the answer, Jesus the Christ. And now third, the grade, the response. What does Jesus say? What does he write on the paper based on this answer? Verse 17, Jesus answers, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah, he's reminding him of his humble beginnings, his name, where he's from. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The response, the grade from the section today points to our conversion as a believer. You answered the second question correctly, right? We saw the question, who is Jesus? You were sitting there and you said, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Christ. He's the anointed one. You answered it right. Good. Well, let's have verse 17 affirm that for you. Think this morning about how your hearts came to Christ. Make it personal right now. And how you were able to answer this question. How were you able to answer the fact that Jesus is Lord? If you didn't answer this question correctly, think about why your heart has not come to this conclusion yet. I want us to think about our conversion right now. Where were you? When did you have this realization? When were you converted? We hate that word, I think, in today's word. Converted. It sounds so strong, but it's the reality, conversion. It's how our hearts change. What made you ready to accept Jesus Christ? How was your heart ready to do that? What did your conversion look like? How was I able to see him for who he really is? Why is it essential that we see Jesus for who he really is? Why is it crucial to see Jesus as Christ? John Piper gave a really good visual for this. I'll update it a little bit, but imagine that you're at home watching TV. You get a knock at your door. You go over, you open the door, and there's Johnny Manziel. Johnny Football is at your doorstep, and you just think, whoa, Johnny, here he is. Johnny, come, come on in. Have a seat. And you go and you fix the cushions on your couch, and you go and you grab a beer for him, a Edmund Fitzgerald, not a PBR, because this is important. So you get him a real good one. You bring it over. You cut your brownie. You get the ice cream. You give it to him, and you just can't believe that he's here. And then you sit down. 
with him, just thinking, how cool am I that I'm hanging out with Johnny football right now? And then he asked, what are you making this such a big deal for? And that was when you looked. And you realized, oh, that's not Johnny football. And so you say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. Well, what did you just do to that guest? You completely embarrassed him. You insulted him. Oh, I didn't mean to do all that for you. I thought you were somebody else. Well, that's what we do when we receive Christ, if we don't really know who he is. That's not a good thing when we have no idea who Jesus is. We're not honoring Jesus that way. Jesus is not being honored by our ignorance of who he is. It's not good. In order to receive Christ in a way that brings glory to him and in a way that saves you, you need to recognize him for who he really is. Jesus calls Peter blessed here because he recognized Christ for who he really is. So what happened to Peter that made him ready to see Jesus? First of all, we see two things in verse 17. Jesus invalidates something. He invalidates flesh and blood. And secondly, he validates something. So in invalidating, what he's invalidating, verse 17, that Peter came to recognize Jesus as Christ. He's invalidating that happened through flesh and blood. What does that mean? We don't talk about flesh and blood very often outside of MMA. So it appears four other times in the Greek, in the New Testament. Let's look at what they are. 1 Corinthians 15.50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom, kingdom of God, supernatural, spiritual, flesh and blood, physical, perishable. Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So flesh and blood is the opposite of the spiritual forces. Again, it's physical. Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So us, children of God, Flesh and blood? Well, Jesus partook of that. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. Flesh and blood, the physical. Galatians 1, 15, 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, this maybe is where the ESV, I was called a heretic, but the ESV does have a sidebar at the bottom using the word anyone actually, in Greek, is flesh and blood. They change it to anyone because it makes more sense. Flesh and blood just means a person. It's a physical thing. It's our physical bodies. So Jesus is, Jesus is invalidating that Peter has found Christ through a physical working or something physical in the body. That's not how we recognize Jesus for who he is. If you recognized him just through something physical, you might not have recognized him. Secondly here, what is Jesus validating? He invalidates flesh and blood. He validates that it was revealed to him through the Father. It's a supernatural event that occurs in your life when you're able to see and recognize Jesus for who he really is. Peter knows him because the Father revealed it. Matthew 11, 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All right, so we see from this that Jesus reveals, the Father reveals Jesus to little children. Well, what about me? You're sitting there saying, I'm not a child. Well, sure, you're a child. Sure you are in your faith. 
John Piper said this, everyone that converts to being a disciple of Christ makes their decision on very limited knowledge. Again, everybody that converts to being a disciple of Jesus Christ makes that decision based on very limited knowledge. Think about it. When did it happen to you? Make it personal right now. When did that happen? How would you describe it when you first came to Christ? Because we all made our decision with limited knowledge about who he really is, but it was still real when we did it. You might have converted, and after you converted to Christianity, the next day somebody asked what happened, and maybe you said, "Um, I've been crucified with Christ. Or maybe you said, I've laid down my life for Jesus. Or maybe you said, I'm picking up my cross and following him daily. Maybe you said, I believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth. Or maybe you said, I've made Jesus my treasure. Maybe you said exactly what Peter said. And you said, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. No matter what you said, it was right. All of those are right. But maybe you hear somebody else's and you don't even understand that language. That doesn't even make sense. What do they mean, pick up your cross and follow me? Does that mean that they weren't able to actually convert and know Jesus because they didn't know the language of picking up a cross and following him? No, they're going to learn. But we have limited knowledge when we do it. So while you're a child, limited knowledge, children don't have much knowledge. We're the same way in our spiritual life. We're children when we find Christ. But even though we're children, this wonderful and this mysterious, uh, miraculous glory that is Jesus coming into our lives happens. It's real, just as it was for Peter. So when you actually recognize Jesus, when you had this revelation of who Jesus is, what was that like? When you opened the door and you saw and you knew that it was Jesus and you sat down with Johnny Manziel and it was Johnny Manziel, you did have it right. When did, it, when did you start reading your Bible and as you're reading the Bible, it wasn't just blank words on a page, but you're seeing Jesus everywhere you look. Even in the Old Testament, he's there and it's alive, it's real. When did that happen? That you accepted Jesus because the Father revealed that to you. And now that you accepted Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He's indwelt within you. Now you can walk by faith and be led by God. This matters. This is central to your salvation. This is your salvation. It's the most important question in the world. And everybody lives their life based on who Jesus is. We need to be reminded of this often or we'll forget it. That's why we come on Sundays. We rehearse the gospel over and over. The best thing somebody could tell me is if, I don't like Philip up there, he always talks about Jesus. He always talks about coming to know the Lord. That's great. If I'm not giving you the gospel, then what am I giving you? That's the bread. That's what we need to feed off of. That's what matters. So we had our test today about the conviction issue of who Jesus is. One, the question is the most important question in the world. Who is Jesus? Second, the correct answer. Jesus is Christ. Because after all, if he's either a lord, a liar, or a lunatic. And his bones aren't in any grave, just so you know. And the third part, the grade, the response. You are blessed if you've done this, for the, vo- for the Father revealed it to you. Application today. How are we going to apply this to our lives? First of all, if you're not a convert, I'm still going to say that word, even though we hate that word, convert. It sounds strong, but it's real. If you're not a convert, I pray that you'll seek God. That you will wonder, why haven't I seen Jesus as the Christ? Because he will show you if you seek. 
God reveals it to us. It's not by anything I've done, but God showed it to me. The Father showed it to me. And if you seek it, you'll find it too. And it'll be exciting. If you are a disciple, if you've already converted to Christianity, I want you right now to, to simmer in that revelation. Just let it burn in your heart, that revelation of who God really is. And maybe for you throughout this week, that happens through prayer. Maybe it happens through silence, sitting and being, and just allowing God to speak to you. Prayer isn't always speaking, but listening too. Maybe that happens through reading the Bible. Maybe you read the Bible, and that is how you're able to simmer in your revelation of who Jesus is. Maybe it happens through music. Maybe you love having your iPod or being in the car and listening to the radio, and and you see Jesus, you feel Jesus, you remember that revelation of who Jesus is through music. Maybe through podcasts. Some of us don't like music. We listen to podcasts instead. Maybe that's how we can simmer in this revelation. Maybe it happens through fellowship and community with one another. Maybe it happens through communion, through baptism. That's why we have communion. That's why we get baptized, to simmer in this, to let everybody know that we will simmer in this revelation for the rest of our lives. And maybe it's all of these things. But I want you to be conscious of what Jesus has done for you this week if you are a disciple already. And finally, the last point of application. Um, I don't want to leave you without this challenge. Just one person, every, every one of you. And this is strange, because it's summer, it's wedding season. A lot of people aren't here that are usually here. So a lot of you are new, and I don't even know you. But here's your challenge. All of you, one person. I don't care if you're a believer. I don't care if you're an atheist. Whatever you are right now, I want your challenge this week to ask somebody who they think Jesus is. doesn't matter where you come from. Ask somebody to see what they say. I would love to know how somebody answers that question. Somebody in Cleveland this week, each one of us, ask one person. I can't follow up with each of you. So I pray that this will stay in your heart and in your mind, that you will think about it. Ask somebody, preferably somebody that you already have a relationship with. Right? I mean, this is evangelism. Whoa, there's another word we all hate. Evangelism. Ah, okay. Enough of that, church. They do that evangelism. Evangelism. Why, why wouldn't you talk about Jesus? It's who we are. So somebody that you know, not just a stranger. Somebody that you know, maybe you work with, go to school with. Somebody that you know that you don't know their stance. Just ask them, who is Jesus? You might be encouraged. It might be really encouraging for you to hear somebody's answer. You might get really confused as to why you ask them because you realize you don't have the answers. Well, that's okay too. You can say, I'll read the Bible and find that answer. That's a good question. I never thought about that. And it'll solidify your theology. It'll solidify your knowledge of Jesus. Maybe you'll get punched in the face. I doubt it. But I definitely know some people are hostile towards Christians. And and if you're an atheist and you ask the question, get punched in the face, then it really stinks. But that could happen too. But when is the last time that you actually shared your faith? I mean, I thought about this the other day. When is the last time I actually shared my faith? When's the last time I just at least gossiped the gospel, just talked about Jesus with somebody? Didn't give a whole presentation and by the end say, all right, make your choice. But I at least talked about the truth of the gospel and what we talked about at church. I mean, I'm the interim teacher preacher, so I do that every day with 20 people. No, not at all. It's a struggle for me. It's hard. It's not easy. But I challenge you to do that this week. 
Again, this is what we have with the Holy Spirit. Act in faith and leave the results up to God. That's Holy Spirit living. Acting in faith and leaving the results up to God. That's the last challenge, last application for the day. Um, Let's pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself this morning. Whether we've converted a long time ago and we have been encouraged through this or whether we have no idea who you are and we still don't know, I thank you that you're after us, God. You're always seeking us. We just have to reach out to you. Yes, for our salvation, but also for our sanctification. And so I pray that that will continue in us, this process that is not the end to recognize you at our doorstep, but it's important to continue growing in our knowledge of who you are. We want to know you better, and we want others that we know and love to know you as well. Help us this week, God, to love you, to live in community, and to serve the city, all three. We want these things to happen. Help us solidify our conviction issues this week and know where the hard, steadfast line is and let us make it a reality in our lives so that we constantly speak the truth of who you are, of what Christianity is. And we don't keep it ambiguous, but we can tell people, yes, there is truth. I found it. It's Jesus. Thank you for being that truth in our lives. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Now we will not end with the song, um, but you can end in fellowship, talking with one another. I, for one, am going to go to Southside in Tremont for brunch. So you're welcome to join. I'm sure other people will be going as well. And, uh, And we want you to do that. We don't want you to rush. Like I said, we're not in a rush at this church. We like to talk to each other. Life is relational. It's about relationships. May this church be that for you.